0: Welcome to News Talks SSE Tristity League Podcast. I am Oshin Langan and he is... Daniel Kelly. You can get him on... At
1: Daniel on Twitter.
0: And you can get me on at Oshin Langan. Sorry for cutting across That's you there, okay. Daniel.
1: It won't be the first time in this show.
0: No. Coming up today, Gerald O'Brien, the St. Pat's first team coach and director of the academy. He's staying at St. Pat's, but he's moved roles. He's not entirely sure if he'll play again. He dropped into us. He had a long chat with us about his new role, about his playing career, and about Pat's season, and he had some really interesting stuff to say. A guy I have to say I've always admired, but today was the first time I ever got to really have a chat with him, and I'm impressed.
1: Yeah, I could see Chatnow in the office, and I can see a budding bromance uh, brewing here, Oshin. Uh, I've uh, I took a picture of the two of you for the podcast as well, and you just seem like best buddies now. I had to suck in for that picture. He did not. Yeah.
0: Uh, he, 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 looks he, he looks sharp. He looks good. He looks like hard. he could still play if he wanted to. And the option is possibly still there. He hasn't completely ruled it out. But it's unlikely we'll see him in a Pats jersey again. Also today, Martin Russell has left Limerick by, what do they always say? Mutual, mutual consent. consent. Has, any, has anyone ever just left or has anyone ever just been sacked?
1: Maybe, but mutual consent is just, it's turned into such a cliched statement yes. that... Sometimes people may have left mutually. They've uh, the club and the high, uh, the club and the manager have decided it's just not for each other. It's not working out. And other times managers are just plain sacked. We, In this situation, we just don't know.
0: We will debate the wrongs and rights. Is that the correct I term? I think that's to a use? fair way. Rights yeah. and wrongs. The rights and wrongs. Yes. yeah. Um, and the ins and outs of that with Noel O'Connor. Former Limerick manager, former assistant boss at Cork City and uh, former Wexford Hughes, as they were known then,
1: and he manager knows, as well. And he knows Limerick football inside out.
0: Yeah, well, he lives in Limerick, he yep. works in Limerick and he goes to pretty much every Limerick game. Uh, we'll hear from him a little bit later. But first, Derry were back in action and it was good to see them back on the park. Um, they unfortunately lost 3-2 to Bray at McGinn Park. Um, Kenny Shields wasn't particularly happy after the game. i let him explain it. He was, of course, talking to our friends in Drive 105. And they asked him if the better team lost.
2: Oh, without a doubt, I think the question is. You've answered the question. You know, that's not, it's not a query at all, it's, it's, it's a fact. Well,
3: uh, tonight, whenever we
2: uh, we went 2 0 down
3: and we went on at half time, we had a few problems. Rory Patterson obviously going off injured, Jared Order going off injured at half time. What's the status in both those players?
2: It's a thigh injury for Jared. He hit the post from the free kick and then. We should have had him off. He, he should have went down. And Jared, being Jared, wanted to play on, and he couldn't get his position right for the goal. Where he, the one over the top, the second one, Jared would have prevented that. He'd have swept that up nor- normally. So that those were contributing factors. The poor performance of the referee was contributing factors, letting players waste time. But the one thing I'm going to clarify, which I did in my earlier interview, was if their player. If the opponent team's player goes down injured, and the opponents kick the ball out of play, why should we have to give the ball back to them? If our player goes down injured, and the opposition kick the ball out, then we most certainly will, because that would be unsporting. So, I want to clarify that, and I'll tell—I'm telling all the teams in the league from now on—we're not giving the ball back if it's the opposition's player that's injured. We will not do that because. It means that they're they've got a a loophole that they're exploiting. And uh, now we move on to Cork City next week. Another tough fixture. They're undefeated at this moment in time, and it's
3: a tough ground for, normally for Terry City to go to. I'm, I'm assuming that you'll know, brush yourselves off and get ready for that one now.
2: It's a tough st- it's a tough ground for everybody to go to because they they're winning all their matches there. So you know, it's a tough game. If we play the way we played tonight, we've got a chance. And if we get a little bit of luck instead of the opposition, then we've got a really good chance. And there's Kenny Shields sounding like Kenny Shields.
0: And I have to say, having seen a bit of that game and having read the reports, I can understand his frustration.
1: You have to feel sorry for them. They come from two down and then concede in added time in what would have been a very emotional night in McGinn Park. But he has put the whole league on notice. They're not getting the ball back off them.
0: And if you wanted to know if these guys are all right to go about their job given the horrific... Uh, thing that they've been through last Friday night I told you they are they're going to work hard and Cork City have been put on notice because they're their next opponents they host them on Turner's Cross on Friday night and I guess
1: it is the game oh it's 100% the game of the weekend game
0: of the weekend Derry currently in third they're on 12 points but they do have two games in hand on Dundalk who are on 15 and Cork City who are on 21 City with a 3-0 win away to Limerick last Friday night Uh, John Caulfield has been talking about his respect for Derry but first how he's very satisfied with how his team have done uh, due to the fact or despite the fact that he's had to make changes in pretty much every game
4: when you chop and change a bit it it, it, it can disrupt a slight bit but I think um, you know in in Limerick it was um, was a good performance and uh, we created lots of chances and um, you know but at the same time you know I think Derry are a different team they have more potential they're better players and um, you know when you look at when you look at um, the type of team they are you know like experience with Doherty, Barry, Patterson um, and then you look at the middle three of McNamee McIniff and the broader young fella Nicky Lowe into the team and he's a good player so um, and obviously Ronan Curtis with the Irish 21 team so they've had you know the bulk of these guys Jarvis bulk of these guys for the last two or three years so um, Know, they're not a new team by any means and you know a lot of their players while they might be 22, 23 in age, a the players have been in the league for two or three years. So they have a bit of experience and uh, they know about the league and um, you know, to be fair to um to Kenny Shields, he's you know, he's done he's done he's done exceptionally well with them and the fact that he got got them into Europe last year, you know, they really were an outside chance of Europe and he got them in and they were comfortable in, in third and um you know, he's done well and obviously with the start of the season they've had it shown that um they're a serious contender.
0: John Caulfield speaking ahead of the game against Derry on Friday night, which is live on the state broadcaster. At Dundalk, also in action again this weekend. They're six points behind Cork going into that game. They had a good win in the Laudel Classical last weekend. It was actually a really entertaining match. It was. I was kind of
1: glad that it was one of the games that was shown on TV. It, was, it reflected the league in a good light. It did, and the pressure was on them after the game in Turners cross. And as we said, it's a, it is a derby. It's like a cup clash, Yoshin. Anything can happen.
0: And I have to say, I love Pete Mahan's sideline interviews. Yeah.
1: Some of them, some managers, I think, rise to the occasion in those instances. Some of them clearly just show their utter disdain towards the interviewer. They've no interest in taking part. But Mahan seemed to be getting into it as the game wore on.
0: Well, he was honest. Yeah. and that, that's He all just it, said, that's we're not playing well. They should be out of sight, but we're still in it kind of thing. You know. Was...
1: That's all you need in it. And to be honest, to be uh, to be fair to Drogheda, they did stay in it until the third goal went in. And when Mahan looks at the start of the season and he's looking at fixtures away to the league champions local rivals even though I was joking there about it, it's a derby anything can happen they wouldn't have been expecting to take any points in that game realistically
0: Dundalker away to Finn Harps Finn Harps with an unfortunate 3-2 loss last Friday night in Talla it was just a third win out of seven games in the league for the hosts so how did Hoops captain Ronan Finn feel when he saw Madden's shot go into the net deep 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 in injury time or very late anyway probably should have checked that detail before anyway it was deep was it very deep like added added time okay well let's hear from finn he spoke to the shamrock rovers soundcloud account relief
1: the only word i can you know
0: describe like oh and just from a point of view just a a really really poor second half and you know i'm sure that listen that's from our own that from our own selves isn't good enough you know we can't have you know, black and white standards okay. where you can be, you know, dominate the game in the first half. You know, could be, you know, potentially 3 and 4 nil up, go in at 2 nil at half time and come out and put in a performance like that's just not good enough. And, uh, you know, we're learning different lessons each week. And um, it was only when they really scored their second goal that we, you know, try and even play forward and try and. Our tempo was gone in the second half, it was sluggish, we were getting caught in the ball, didn't manage the game right. And basically, the opposite of what we did in the first half. Well, I commended Pete Madden the Drogheda manager, for his honesty. I have to commend Ronan Finn as well. Yeah. He didn't hold back there, no. he
1: didn't sugarcoat that at all. They started that game very well. There were two up, I think, inside the first 15 minutes. Then, obviously, Finn Harps get two goals back in the second half. Paddy McCourt with his first League of Ireland goal in almost a decade. His first for Harps since joining uh, directly from a free kick as well. And then, obviously, Madden scoring in at a time. But Things are looking ropey for Shamrock Rovers there. They shouldn't be They shouldn't be in that position that Where they need a last minute winner uh, When they were two up against Finn Harps at home
0: Finn Harps, as you predicted Dan Causing yes. a lot of trouble for they teams They really are I've said season. it since
1: day one And I will follow on my sword Which I expect to happen Around September Well they're currently seventh And yeah. they would snap
0: your hand off To stay there until the end of the season Next up for Rovers by the way are drawdown But now It's time to talk Limerick Kelly to Whitehead, But he miscontrols and Maguire is in here,
2: and he shoots, and it's in. It's the first goal of the game. Dooley cuts in his right foot, crosses to the back post, and it's in. It's 2 nil to Cork. And John O'Flynn making his first appearance of the season. as Cork attack here to Gerald Morrissey in the central position. He shoots with his left foot, and it's
3: in! Gerald Morrissey advances from midfield, strikes from about 25 yards out. Low strike, and it's in
2: Nola Car. Well, this
3: is a fantastic strike, technically top, top drawer. Low and hard into the bottom ho- corner gave Clark no chance whatsoever. Doyle you so calls time on this SSC Electricity Premier Division clash. Limerick have lost in the Munster Derby by three goals to nil. It's their third defeat of the season.
0: Final goals conceded of Martin Russell's time in charge of Limerick. Noel O'Connor, former Limerick manager, also former assistant manager to Cork City. And of course, you worked with Wexford Hughes for a a time as well. You've been at most of Limerick's games this season. You were at the game on Friday night. You were working with Alan O'Brien as part of the commentary team. Um, What do you make of this mutual separation between Limerick and Russell?
3: Um, In one way, I was very surprised. And I suppose in another way... Because of my experience um, with Limerick, um, I wasn't hugely surprised. I have to say. Um, I have to say about Martin, um, particularly this season. It was the first game that they conceded more than uh, than one goal, as far as I as I know. They picked up one point more than they had in his previous time in the Premier League, uh, League after twenty six games, and this was after six games. Um, I think there's an unrealistic expectation uh, in Limerick. Um, It has been there for a long, long time. Uh, I'm going back to my time there in early 2000s and the mid-2000s. And uh, there's a certain impatience um, with some people in the club that hasn't really um, done the club any favours over the long term. When you say there's
0: a certain expectation that is unrealistic, where does that expectation come from?
3: I'm, I'm not quite sure and I suppose I need to say here now that Paddy Sullivan has certainly been the best chairman that Limerick have had uh, as long as I have been involved with the club certainly uh, I wouldn't have been much aware of who was the chairman when I was a supporter um, but certainly I would say he's, he will leave a massive legacy whenever he goes and that would be Limerick's return to the market field um, anyone who goes there now you know, they all say it's a fantastic pitch, fantastic round. You know, the fact that it's more or less bang, slap in the middle of, of the city, and there has been some very good nights there already, albeit without Limerick um, coming through, like the League Cup final last year, and even last Friday night. Um, I think there's probably some people who have been involved in the club for a, l- a long time that, in my opinion, would punch above their weight in terms of maybe what they have to say to the chairman or how much they actually know about football. And um, look, if if you go back and look at the last 15 years, the, the amount of managers that have come and, go, and gone from Limerick, and um, n- none of them doing a particularly bad job, I would say. Um, people were talking about Limerick getting into Europe this year, which was obviously quite ludicrous. Um, you had a Cork City team that came... To Limerick on Friday night, which the previous week had comprehensively beaten uh, a Dundalk side that only a few months ago uh, were in the group stages of the Europa League, and in someone, someone decided in Limerick that this Limerick team should uh, should beat this Cork team. Now I know on any given day it can happen, but I thought Cork were very impressive on Friday night. Um, they have a very very good squad. They're very well drilled, and they certainly are a few few years down the road. Um, in terms of their development than than where Limerick are.
0: Noel, it's a commonly reproduced stat, whether or not it's entirely accurate or not, I'm not sure, that Limerick have the fourth biggest budget in the Premier League and that when you look at the table, even though it's only early in the season, they've played six games, they've already lost four uh, and they haven't really played particularly well that Martin Russell wasn't delivering. What do you make of that theory?
3: Um... Look, the fourth biggest budget is probably true. I think um, the, that it comes from the chairman, obviously, as well. Um, he's prepared to put his money in, which is fair enough. I think where Limerick are, you know, the, the top players in the country are always going to gravitate towards the Dublin teams. You'll obviously have to pay a bit extra if, if you want to get a good player, say, from Dublin to, to move to Limerick. It's not probably the best way to get a player that he he'll move to Limerick just because yep. you know he's he's going to get some more money as opposed to what he get in Dublin. Um, I think even if you look at the Cork players, a lot of them have have been in England and have come back. Um, if you want to delve a bit a bit deeper, Limerick haven't produced a lot of um, good young players in in the last five or six years. I think that's uh, yep. certainly an issue, and it comes back to the the impatience in Limerick. I think if Limerick want to be successful, they certainly have to have, you know, a nucleus of Limerick players in the team.
0: Yeah, and those are all good points, but, but what about their performances this season? I mean, you're a manager, you've been around the league for a long time. From what you've seen, and I think you've seen most of Limerick's games this season so far, was there signs that it was going to come good, that they were improving? Or was it a case that the board looked at it and said, "Okay, this is not moving the way it should be, we need a change?
3: Yeah, and listen, they're obviously entitled to do that. Um, I thaw- I saw Limerick and Bray, I thought it was they played very well in terms of they fought very well. It's something maybe that they would have been lacking a bit. I don't know, can you blame um, the manager for that? Uh, a, a bit of lack of fight at times, but they, they certainly show that in Bray. They won 1-0 away from home. Um, obviously, to draw, people would see that, you know, the draw against Finn Harps um, was a disappointment. But listen, Finn Harps has had some decent results this the season as well, I do think it was a bit early. I think he need he should have got maybe half the season, fourteen or fifteen games, if they still weren't happy. There was certainly enough of games left to um to make a change and they certainly weren't weren't cast adrift. I would have been confident enough that this year Limerick would have avoided relegation with the squad they had and the manager they had. I, I may well be wrong, but that's that's what I would have thought. And I think for Limerick to avoid relegation this year, with uh, from a Premier League that three three teams are going to go down, and they were, and they were a team that just came up. I think it would have been a very very good season for them.
1: No, I was at Marketsfield on the first night of the season when Limerick defeated Sligo Rovers five one. Was that in a way one of the worst things that could have happened, Martin Russell? That expectations suddenly became so big that uh, there was a uh, there was a great crowd there at Marketsfield. They were top of the table, but since then they've only gone on to score two goals in in the next in the next five games. So did things come too early to them uh, sort of uh, too good too early
3: Yeah I think there's there's a point in that but then it comes back to the expectation again like I mean why just take it as, as a good night at the office and three points you know rather than think look we're top of the league now and we're going to get into Europe or or whatever that people think look it was good to get those three points um, one of the one of the things that the Limerick people were worried about this year was the the back four and I think up to um up to last Friday night, which was probably one of the strongest part of, of, of the team. Um, you had the same back four going out; they'd, they'd only conceded one goal in um, in each match, and um, the issues were further up the field.
1: Limerick have tried; uh, they've gone with the foreign option in Stuart Taylor. They've now gone with the tried and trusted League of Ireland method in Martin Russell. What type of manager do they need?
3: Um, what kind of manager do they need? Um, obviously, a miracle worker. <laughs> um, other than that, I doubt you should you should apply. But um, I, I do think that you know Limerick are not ready to be in the top two or three of the league yet. Um, they need the the board need to show a bit more patience. I think overall, and I think they need to have a bit more confidence in themselves and not be let or said maybe what if a few fans are grumbling about this and that and the other. I think they have to have a bit more courage. Um I think it doesn't it doesn't show the club in great light I think that after six games that they they would sack a guy who who had gotten promotion. Um they've done it before with with Pat Scully, and uh they they haven't been rewarded for it. Um I think it undermines the position of the manager in the club overall and uh I think if you have a manager that's that's been undermined no matter who he is well then the chances of you being successful are are quite remote.
1: The fact that uh, that uh, three teams are going down this season has been well advertised and obviously teams like Galway, Slaggaer, Waterford that they've been struggling so far but no one has even mentioned Limerick until this week as a team that could be seen as relegation can- candidates. Obviously Limerick are looking ahead to they're looking up the table instead of down with uh, with their mutual parting with Martin Russell but could this have a a, a destabilizing uh, impact on the team that, where a lot of these players would have come in under Russell and played with him last season, now they're not sure what could be happening in the coming weeks.
3: Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think it can, and I think, as I said already, it kind of lets players uh, a bit off the hook as well. You know, things are not going well. It's, it's, it's the manager's fault, and um, I think that's not good long term. Um, as I said, I thought they would have avoided relegation as, as they were, provided they didn't hit an injury crisis. And um, it'll be interesting to see, like, I'm around Limerick, I haven't really heard any any name that'll stand out yet. One and, name um, that
0: has popped up, and I'm not sure if you'd say it's a standout name, but it is a name, Ian Barraclough.
3: Yeah. Uh, li- listen, um, every time the Limerick job has, has been up for grabs, there's been some... The usual names, if you like, are trotted out. Um, I wouldn't be privy to what's going on today or who they're thinking about talking about. But um, I'd be as interested as anyone to see who uh, who the next manager will be.
0: Noel O'Connor, really appreciate your time and um, really enjoying your commentary with Alan O'Brien uh, every Friday night or Saturday night or whenever Limerick play, you follow them. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on News Talks SSE Airtricity League podcast. And uh, enjoy Friday night When you make the trip To Inchicore For St Pat's against Limerick
3: And nice to talk to you again Oshin. And you as well Thank you And I'll see you Daniel An appropriate
0: level Of respect shown by Noel O'Connor to Daniel Do you prefer Dan or Daniel?
3: I
1: honestly don't mind either As long as it's not Danny I'm happy
0: What does your mother call you? And does she Give you the full name When you're in trouble Or is it it Dan Just casually? It's the
1: full name The whole time
0: Oh really? Yeah The Kelly family It's always been Daniel So is that why You don't answer When I shout Dan Across the office?
1: No, he's not seeing me. I'll go later. You've just put in the Alan Partridge clip there, haven't you? Yep. Yeah, it's not the first time I've heard it's that It's the ghost either. of Richie. You yeah, know, really You is. know that's what Richie would have yeah. done. Who's Richie? Don't know. Okay.
0: Quick mention of Sligo Rovers and Galway. As we record this, that happened last night. It yes. was a one-all draw. It was supposed to happen on Friday. It was
1: supposed to happen on Friday night. And uh, every all the, most of the fans were in the ground. And around 7 o'clock, it started teeming rain torrentially. And... The yep. uh, game was delayed by 15 minutes they just couldn't get the pitch into playable condition yeah. nothing, uh, nothing, nothing they could, could,
0: could do absolutely it. no one's fault it was just a, no. a freak of nature the amount of rain that fell and uh, Jessica Farry, a friend of the podcast yes. uh, tweeted a picture and she just said yeah this game isn't happening and yeah. it was just wow I, like nothing anyone can no. do a one all draw doesn't really do much for either team no. does
1: it? Galway are still uh, without a win in the league six games in three draws three losses and Slag Rovers have one win from seven you can check out the goals if you follow
0: Galway United's Twitter account. They've put the link up. Um, let's talk about Joe O'Brien. He is now the director of underage football and he's the first team coach at St. Pat's.
1: A modern day club legend, you could say.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. He's pretty yeah. much won everything with them, hasn't he? Has he
1: has. He's uh, League Cup and League Cup. Yeah, so he's. Uh, I'm not sure if he has a Stanford Cup. I Have Pats ever won the Cup? Don't think so. No. It doesn't I don't exist think so. anymore, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, he's been around the houses in the League of Ireland sense as well. He's had a. A long career. Uh, he's now making his way in coaching, but he's only 32. and He's a young 32. Yeah, he is a young 32. And he, he, he hasn't actually officially said whether or not he's retiring. So, probably maybe
5: a bit rudely and a bit bluntly, I put it to him. Is he done in a playing sense? Well, I came into the season probably looking at now. Um, as pre-season went on and the start of the season, it's probably looking a little bit likely that it will be. Um, I'm still not fully probably come to it yet where I'm actually going to announce or anything like that. But it's it's very difficult to do, you know, half a job here and half a job there. I I like to do something properly and and to be honest with you, I found it a little bit difficult doing bits and pieces training boys and then trying to do a bit of coaching and the underage stuff as well. So it's uh yeah, I'll have to make a big decision quite soon.
0: It just goes to show, doesn't it, that. Your body has to be focused, but your mind also has to be focused as well. You can't
5: half-heartedly play. No, absolutely. I think it's, you know, you go through your career and you pick up a lot of injuries and stuff like that. And a lot of stuff plays in your mind when you're playing and you have a lot of different distractions. Um, And as you said, if you're not fully, you know, right mentally, you know, your game can suffer and the team can suffer. So... For me I wouldn't do that to the boys. It's probably it's probably got to the stage of the last few years when I did pick up a few injuries that it was I was understanding that you kinda of face up to it a little bit more the older you get. But um now this opportunity came up with the club and you now new structures coming in place throughout the league, I think it was probably the right decision now to, to kinda of grab this with both hands. Um, work a little bit more in the background and then you know, the playing side was gonna be minimal but unfortunately it's it's been really minimal at this stage. Are you training fully or how's it working at the moment? Uh I, I was. I was doing quite a bit in the off season myself, um and then I started to do quite a little bit with the boys, but now it's it's kinda of jumping in here and there when they need me. Um but no it's 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 hard to get in and, and take take the session and then take part in the session as well because if you're trying to make a point to the boys a coaching point or listen if it's just a training session and i'd i'd separate the two of them a training session a coaching session obviously a training session you're just and you know whatever it might be and um, but certainly on the coaching session type of things like your 11 11 games or wherever yeah. you are doing a function or a phase you would need to uh, make points and stop and and have dialogue with the lads and ask questions with them and so it's very difficult to be in and and kind of concentrating on all coming to your way that you should be and then looking at where everyone else would be as well
0: if you look at old clips you see guys playing with bellies you don't see that anymore so you have to be very sharp and very fit now looking at you you are like a greyhound you are looking sharp you are looking fit but i guess to be playing at the elite level you have to be match fit as well and that's the difficulty isn't it like you can train with the lads you can work with the lads but if you're not getting matches i guess the longer that goes on the more difficult it will get
5: yeah absolutely and although you might not and- you might prom weight or anything like that, but you do kind of lose that, that kind of sharpness, as you said, and then that mental capacity to be able to prepare for a game and know that in your own mind that, yeah, I'm ready to go for this game. Yeah. Because... You know, sometimes you can be your own worst downfall in your mind that if, if you feel you know, if you had an illness during the week or if you had a knock and train or you missed the training session, you know, it's nearly playing on your mind going out that oh, I'm not ready to, to be at my best here and yeah. as I said, if 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 you're only taking a bit part in training and stuff like that and you know, it can never mind yourself. At this stage you're kind of the selfishness is gone. At this age it's it's more about the team and winning and I think if if, if I was to go out and cause a goal or wherever I might be I think that would that would actually sit worse with me rather than you know not being involved at all I remember when Henry Shefflin came back
0: from an injury he said sitting and watching games you actually thought God this is a frightening pace I don't think I could last and then he said once he got back into it he realised he was okay is it the same with you when you're watching games at the moment? Are you thinking, God, I'm not sure I could get back into it, but if you actually did it, maybe you'd be okay?
5: Yeah, I think that's probably a fair point, to be honest. It's, um, I think if I was to down tools today in the coaching and then get back and probably do a mini pre-season, three or four weeks, I think I'd be fine. I think I'd be able to get back into it, no problem. But as I said, the route that I've taken now and that word longevity is not really used in the League of Ireland. That if I feel the role I'm in now, I, I feel that I can get longevity out of it. I'm at a stage now where, unfortunately... You know, you look at the likes of Frank Lampard and John Terry and you kind of say, oh, they want to play for, you know, till they're 36, 37, 38, but they're still earning 40 grand a week and they're still <laughs> going to walk into the yeah. TV jobs and, and you know, whatever else they're going to do, management and coaching jobs, no problem. But in League of Ireland, you have to kind of, when you're at crossroads with decisions, you have to kind of yeah. think deeply about And I have two young kids, I have a wife at home and I want to stay in the game and this was probably the best decision for me at this stage.
0: Well, that kind of outlines how serious you are about coaching. The fact that you stop playing because playing is an addiction. Playing is is something that's hard not to do when you're a player. So you have to kind of switch minds, and it's tough at the moment because you're you're kind of caught. Well, you're not caught between like you are coaching, but in maybe your head you're still a bit of a player. Is is that the way you're looking at
5: it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, and it's it's probably that selfishness word again that you use as a player that you want to keep playing for yourself. And sometimes, in this game, especially, you look at other sports, like rugby and things like that, there's very much an honesty in rugby. But in, in football, I found that there's not a huge honesty in it, as well as is that, you know, someone mightn't tell you that your time is up, or someone might feel that, you know, your loyalty to them over the last few years has probably bought you another season mm-hmm. or two. But for me, it was the recognition of, obviously, of, that crossroads and saying, well, where should I go now at this stage? And, and for me, it took probably four to five weeks of, of hard thinking, um, a lot of conversations with people I'd regard would who had, had a big influence in me in my career and people that I'd trust and talk to. And there was mixed messages to be honest with you. A lot of them were telling me to continue that I'd regret Some were yeah. saying, listen, it's when you when you when you weigh out the, the options it's probably the best decision. But for me, I do have a huge uh, hunger to succeed in coaching in, in this country or even beyond and I felt probably at this stage when everything was weighed up, I could give and contribute more yeah. um, to the route that I've taken rather than just being
0: a player. What has Liam said? If you can tell us, I appreciate many of these conversations yeah. are private and should remain private. I respect that. But can you give us some indication as to what he said? Did he say, look, it's one or the other? Did he say, look, keep tapping away, keep training because we might
5: need you at one stage, some stage? What did he say? He's, listen, anyone who knows Liam would be, he's always the calmest man in the room. I think he he's a deep thinker in that kind of sense. So when, when I spoke to him on it, and obviously he knew my coaching route. I had got my badges quite early and I had I done quite well. I coached with Minute in the, in the university and was successful down there. And some of my underage teams were successful. And it was starting to, with the director of football role, which was coming up, he had earmarked me for that position. And the conversations was coming down to first team coach Dan and he kinda said, Listen, I certainly won't put any, you know, direction to where you wanna go. My, he said he, he actually won a league at thirty five after coming back from a cruise injury he was saying he loved playing but my argument with that was was that he was a centre forward. And at thirty five, you get a hell of a lot more options off the bench than a thirty two or thirty three are all fullback, back <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who who's not going to come on if you need a goal. Let's Especially be, when you see the pace in the league at the moment. Yeah. I mean, Sean Maguire being the best example. And yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, when I came into a Forest, it was uh, you're walking into a dressing room with, with men. It felt like men. Um, but now you're walking in, young lads are coming into the dressing room, and there's probably more younger lads than there is older lads. Yeah. And uh, you know it's. It is certainly got a younger age profile now, the league, which for me is good because, you know, that's what you want. You want those young, exciting players, the ones who play with free spirit, let's say, for want of words, and the ones who still have aspirations of going over to the UK. And as you mentioned, Sean McGoy there, there's probably another probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten players around the league that still have aspirations of going either back to the UK or going over for their first time and I think that makes it a little bit more exciting. It
0: sounds like you're already thinking like a coach. Is that a conscious decision that you made in the last season or two or is it just the way it has evolved or do you think of it that way it's a football brain a football brain and it doesn't matter matter whether you're playing or coaching
5: yeah it's probably evolved more so with the i do done all the coaching badges obviously quite early and you probably found yourself thinking on the pitch more so as a coach at times you know you were nearly giving direction to the boys of where they should be or where they sh- you know, instead of you know realising that things happen in the game in a split second um, but now it's it is there's a lot of like the flip side of, of going into it is as a player you feel the defeat and it's terrible or you you know you're delighted with the win and you switch off kind of then and you have your weekend with me then now it's you know you're getting the, the next week's match report in 12 hours later you're already watching the game back in those 12 hours then you have spending most of your weekends then focusing on the opposition for next week you're working on your training sessions you're on conversations and then with me it's the nineteens, it's the seventeen. so yeah. I have taken on a completely different lifestyle. I'm one that looking up my wife and she certainly understands, but you know, having most of my days free as well at times for the kids and stuff like that, you have to kind of balance it well. But it is a completely flip side that you don't, you don't, you have to go in full throttle. If you don't, you get found out quite quickly. And I think you walk into a dressing room and if your sessions aren't good and, if uh, your information that you're given is you know the lads see right through you you're walking in and I've known I've come from dressing rooms and you know uh, you know you, you have you've some leaders in the dressing room but a lot of, lot of the players are sheep and you know if some of the, the stronger personalities and the leaders kind of find you out quite quickly the sheep will follow quite quickly so it's important that you know you do your business right and 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 don't leave anything um you know to to want that they can give out about like you know
0: We'll get back to your coaching career in just a second, but who were the leaders during your career? You don't have to name the sheep.
5: I wouldn't expect you to. <laughs> <laughs> who were the leaders, though? Who who stands out for you, guys you played with? I think, as I said to you, when I first came in, it was a different kind of era of player. Um, and we had quite a young dressing room. My first real main dressing room, without being disrespectful, to I started off at Pats and went to at and Lawn and Kildare County. And then my first real main club was was Shamrock Rovers and I I saw in the time then when when they had just been relegated to the first division mm. so there was so much uh, uncertainty but yet so much pressure on the group because it was the first division unfortunately had it the tag of it, the graveyard mm. type division and if you're in it and you don't get out and we see what happened with Shelbourne um, ...you can be stuck in it... ...so we had this pressure... ...we were Shamrock Rovers... ...you know it's still one of the, the biggest clubs in the country... ...even in the First Division at the time... ...and you're sort of saying... ...right there's pressure there... ...and we had a manager called Pat Scully... ...who was probably the first character... ...in my football career... ...that I found to be a proper... Um, ...proper adult about things... ...almost like he didn't treat you like a baby... ...he didn't... ...there was demands on you... ...and he kind of moulded me as a player... Um, even though I was be playing for two or three seasons in the 4th Division with the likes of Clearing loan, I was only 17, 18, 19 at the time um, but Pat Scully really kind of got in and he kind of took that schoolboy mentality that softness out of you and, and made you, like, you're a fullback, you defend you know, you're good at attacking keep doing what you know army doing but you don't let a winger boy you and he kind of had that, that kind of uh, mentality as a manager and he was a real leader he was a real leader in the sense that he was a very, very good coach, but he put a city a lot of demands and he was it was the first time when you're reading the papers or listening to interviews that he was sort of saying, We expect to win the first division. Anything else is a failure and you're sort of sitting there as a player going, well if he thinks that, <laughs> you know, maybe we should think that as well. Yeah. But you don't really you know, you kinda of follow and throughout then I would have played with, with different players. The likes of I had one year with Owen Harry he at Bowes. I um, looked up to someone like Owen for quite a while he was obviously someone that played in the same position as me but he was really good he was after going through that really good spell with Shelbourne and you've seen him playing against the likes of Deportivo and you kind of wondered could I get to that level in Europe Um, he was really really good but he was from he was moulded from that old school generation he was probably the last kind of ones before I flipped onto this new generation mm-hmm. and what you find is you find a lot of leaders on the pitch are the likes of the the Richie Tells and the Christy Fagans, the ones that actually do their talking with goals and and performances rather than that coming in, that old school mentality. I think that's kind of disappearing slowly out of the game. Is that a good or a bad thing? Because things evolve. That's just the way life works. It's the way
0: football works. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't take things from the old school and
5: implant them into the new school and get the best of both. No, and I think it's just the way... You, the mindset has changed right from you can't I don't think you can you can take kids now in schoolboy football forget anything about professional from the, for the start but from schoolboy football they're coming in and they're doing a couple of nights a week and I think the education that the coaches have gotten is probably a lot more I don't want to use the word professional because you had obviously fantastic coaches years yeah. ago as well but it's a lot more different and and um, there's a lot more thought process goes into how you deal with kids and you know, years ago, 25, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have had sports psychologists coming into football clubs to deal with it. It would have been frowned upon. It would have been that yeah. they're soft or, you know, they're weak and we can't have him in the dressing room or wherever. But now it's a major part. And, like, I know Leicester's guy um, is coming over to speak in, in UCC. I think it might be tonight or tomorrow. He's been with Leicester for the last couple of seasons. I think Nigel Pearson brought him in. and I know I've read interviews and stuff online that Leicester's players would have credited him hugely with their success last season, and you know that's the kind of way players have gone. That is wherever they feel is uh, is needed to be successful, they'll they'll go with it. Um, and it's just on like on the flip side where I spoke about earlier with the coach and that if they see through something and they don't buy into it, it can fail miserably and they can use it as an excuse. That's what players do, but if if something's good and yeah. it works and it's successful, you know, it's almost on the flip side that everything blows and it's used and the exposure's huge and I know Liverpool had it with, with Peters years ago when they nearly won the league and, you know, it's it just seems to be a common trend now that everything's evolving really quickly and um we just have to keep moving with the times. Some would see it as a bad thing that players know
0: their own worth now. By the time they get to you, they've obviously proved how good they are because they're now joining a League of Ireland set up again is that a good or a bad thing guys kind of being confident in their ability or or is it still the case that some guys are confident some guys are not some guys think they're better than they are how, how does it work it's a
5: uh, like you get, you've get you got 16 and 17 year olds coming up to you in training sessions and asking you you know questions which is good i like that um but i'm a more modern day coach like they're, they're kind of asking you questions well if i move here i'm leaving a space here and a gap and they're actually talking tactics which is that you know, is, is,
0: is that the, G- the neville and carraher generation yeah, they've grown up watching so, yeah. monday night football and they're getting a a, a detailed detailed analysis that we because we're in around the same. well i'm a bit older than you we're in or around the same age and we grew up watching keys and great and it was all blood and thunder stuff yeah. and you know dumpy and giles and yeah, there was good analysis, but it wasn't like the pinpoint. I'm going to show you exactly what and where players step. Uh, that you know, that's 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 what Carragher and Neville do, and of course you go online now and you go to Transfermarkt and soccer base and flash score and you can see the formations. And they grew up with that. It's just a given to them. To us, it's still kind of cool to go. Oh, we can check this out. But
5: yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and that, and that you hit the nail on the head there. It is that generation of players where they're actually self-learning, which, like, on all the coaching courses that we've done in the FEI, they actually encourage interaction between the players and the coaches it's almost like um, that self-learning thing that if a player can learn himself he'll know it forever like and yeah I wouldn't say your job is redundant but you need to just help them whereas years ago you told them what to do yeah. now you're kind of helping them and it's almost like a guided discovery yeah. in, in that kind of way maybe that's the best phrase to use and and, and, and is that. the worry that they
0: actually become a bit too obsessed with formations rather than actually getting the skills of the game right, then they kind of think that it's all about the formation and the tactics rather than them, they themselves, becoming a good player and getting those core fundamentals
5: right. Yeah, listen, I think... We can all get bogged down in formations, not just kids, but players, coaches, everyone. Like um, you know, people in the media. When I read the papers and they talk about if they're, if they're being critical towards the team, and you know we've, we we played a four two three one and all this, but at the end of the day, believe me, as a player, and I've sat in a dressing room for long enough. If you enough of you is turning up on the day and yeah. play well, and don't get me wrong, the manager does have a big part to play, and the coaches that if they give you. You know, if they give you the the belief and they give you the confidence and they give you more importantly the freedom to go out and express yourself and play a certain way, you kind of yeah. do it, like you know. And you know, you kind of look at you kind of look at the Ireland game against Wales recently. Let's take that for an example. And you look at Wales and you know that kind of three four three, three five two formation that they played, or whatever it might be, that diamond in the middle. And people are saying, "Oh, well, look at Wales! They have similar players to us, and they came and they outplayed us and stuff like that." And Maybe that was just their mentality on the day. Maybe we just didn't want to be beaten. Maybe that's the way we set up. We were missing some key players, and but on other days you go out and you look and how well we play, and you know over in Austria it was all about hitting them on the counter attack and it worked. So maybe the managers have a big part of the play in it but ultimately it's when the players go out it's you in that battle yeah. and your key battle and I spoke briefly with Philly McMahon once just I don't know him around that I just met him at a kind of like a convention thing and I spoke to him and we were having a conversation about football and GAA and he was sort of saying that's the difference between soccer players you know I don't get when a GA player runs on and shoulders another fella and I kind of look at him and say why does this happen but he sort of says it's it's you against him. You have to be him in that battle. And yeah. footballers don't have that mentality. They go out and they worry about themselves, which is fine. But you have to get the better of your opponent, like, and I think the more people that do that on the day, and like you kind of maybe some formations do take time to kind of the opposition to adapt to, but ultimately the more people that perform out of that eleven, the better chance you have a winning. It's as simple as that.
0: To go back to Eamon Dunphy he says that there's no street footballers anymore. It's a very broad term I appreciate but is there merit in that argument? Because again, you're getting the best guys coming to you to work with you. So how are you, how are you finding their skill levels as compared to, we'll say, someone like yourself when you were 15, 16?
5: We have this thing now, um, a guy called Raymond Verhaen. I think everyone kind of knows him at this stage. He's quite good in what he says, a lot of the things, but other other parts of it are, are quite kind of, you kind of sit back and you go, these are kids and he's talking about overtraining of 13, 14, 15-year-olds. And for me, a 13, 14, 15-year-old should be out every day playing football, every day doing anything. But now it's, he played on a Monday, so he has to rest on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and now he can't train until a Thursday. And you're sort of saying, is that really the best for a 13, 14, 15-year-old? I don't think so listen for me I want to be I want to see the kids I want to stop my car on the road to let the kids move off so so I can drive through because that's what we did we played against gates against a tree and a lamppost a jack or wherever it was you don't see her anymore and I agree with with Eamon Dunphy in the sense that listen society has changed you know there's a hell of a lot more things to do and I know there's all these things about oh the kids you have to drag them out nowadays because years ago we hadn't got you know handheld computers or we hadn't got YouTube or any of this type Mm -hmm. of stuff and that's just the simple reality of it there wasn't any distractions to it like if youtube was back then would they have played it they probably would have but we never know so you can only take on its merits now you would encourage a lot more i think there could be a lot more done in schools programs stuff like that but ultimately it's up to the parents that mentality that the parent has and all the new kind of generation parents would be kind of our age and a little bit older and they were ones that grew up in the realms on the computers and stuff because they would have been the first kind of that generation and they think it's okay now so maybe as parents we all need to do a little bit more.
0: Are they less skilled or like is it very very noticeable that kids when they get to 15, 16 and by the time they come to you that they're they don't quite have the skills that you would have had just from constantly playing the game?
5: Yeah, to be honest with you I'm probably in the middle of the road and this might sound like I'm sitting on the fence here but I can't remember, and that's being that's yeah. an honest answer. I can't remember. I couldn't tell you if my team, my schoolboy team, were better than a team that I go and watch today. So I'd, I'd probably take on someone who's seen both and has watched both from afar. Um, and I spoke with Dave Henderson only recently. He, he had a, a, a piece there with Emmett in the in the Irish Times there recently. About, and it was a very good article. And he was sort of saying years ago, you could go and watch, and there'd be twenty players at each grade group, and every kind of scout or club would get a player and bring them off to England, and they'd be going to top clubs. Yeah. But now you have certain clubs that were happy to kind of push their players in the direction of, without being disrespectful, Stevenage and yeah. and Carlisle and clubs like that because they don't want them coming to League of Ireland, or they still are harboring ambitions of you have a better chance if you skip the lower UK team that you'll go up through the ranks quicker. Um. So to be honest, answer is i'm not so sure i i don't know what I'd, I'd have to see you know you'd have to you know kind of talk to people who have seen both but but certainly the kids that we i do deal with and find coming in quite early the 15 16 year olds they are very sheltered in the sense they're protected an awful lot by the parents um but when they get out you know they do their, their four or five days a week with us and um when they're in they're fine it's just it's what they're doing on the outside whether it's Rest days or wherever else they want to do now or wherever, but it's um it's certainly different than when I was starting off. Yeah. You do seem to enjoy it though. You seem to really like working with them. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you have to love what you're doing. I think if you don't, you, as I said, to you I, I keep using the phrase you get found out quite quickly. And if you don't, if you don't like doing it, what's the point of doing it? Like you know, and especially you're trying, you know. A young age, you know, taking the, f- f- the first team aside for a minute, it's a different mentality when you're working because you're still developing the kids. The mm-hmm. first team is a lot more about results-orientated. It can be performances, but it is results-orientated, whereas the underage, you are preparing them mentally and technically and technically and all this type of stuff to be ready to play 1st team football. So results yeah. isn't as important. You kind of want them to keep winning, but it wouldn't be driven by the coaches. You're hoping it's self-driven by the players. Um, but yeah, you have you have to want to do it, and the thing about it is, you've got young kids who probably at this stage of our lives, at fifteen, sixteen, have three main components made up of school, family life, and football, yeah. because that's that's their three things that they mainly do. They might have friends, but they wouldn't be as much. So you have to take on an active role as, you know, I won't give uh, too much details away, but we have. A situation at the moment in pats with one of our a couple of our kids are either misbehaving in school or are not fulfilling promises that we've agreed with parents so we punish them when they miss training like you have to follow through right? and yeah. they won't start now the weekend with one kid that won't start the weekend now over and um, we've spoken to the parents we've spoken to head school teachers as well we've spoken to principals that if because unfortunately they're so young and so uh, innocent that they think that they're just going to be footballers whereas yeah. as adults you have to provide um, you have to provide an environment for them to say right okay yes we want you to be the best footballer and we want you all along to do this but also your education is huge because I'd rather meet a kid in 20 years time who hasn't become a footballer but we were able to help him yeah. get an education and a degree and he owns his own business and shake his hand rather than a kid who we've neglected failed at football as well and you know Mm. Hasn't got himself a job or a family life or anything like that. So we have a big part to play, and that's probably one thing that I enjoy doing. That you've so many different individuals, and there's a lot of uh, thought process goes into it.
0: Before we talk about Pat's current season, there is a change coming. League of Ireland teams will form a kind of an under-15 league. It's it's a much debated change. Some clubs are for it. Some clubs are against it. It's, it's kind of not as simple, though, as being for or against it. There's pros and cons to it, isn't there?
5: Yeah, there is. Um, and, uh, listen, you, the schoolboy clubs, let me go on the rocker, record and say, and the schoolboy clubs have done a fantastic job, have done a really, really good job. And you look at the likes of Kevins and Joeys and Cherry Orchards and Belvederes and Crumlins and Francis. All these clubs have done really, really good jobs in developing players. Hmm. I think what they want to do is, they want to bring all those players together. You shouldn't have a school bike team going out and winning 11-0. And that's what... I was involved with a club last year, and they won the under-15, my team won the under-15 team, but we shouldn't be going out beating teams 7-8 and 8 and 9-0. It's no good for the development of these so-called elite players. Yes, the training sessions on a Tuesday and Thursday and whatever other nights we trained were actually far better than the games that they played on the weekend. They were much more difficult because they are playing against each other. So they had to do something, and obviously, when Real Doctor came in, he looked at it, and said, listen, why don't we, what everyone has said for years, why don't the, so-called, and I put this in very commas, because, everyone knows League of Ireland, professional teams, have the, best players playing, in their underage structures, for academy type things, Mm -hmm. and, I'd be the first one to put my hand and say, yeah, this, I've been in the League of Ireland for a long time. They have neglected so much the the underage. When they got money in, they spent it on players. They didn't build infrastructure. They didn't work on the youth system. They didn't buy training grounds, nothing like that. Um And so this, the schoolboy clubs have a, a big argument to say, well, hold on, we've invested in all this. We've had brand-new clubhouses. We've Astro pitches. We've training grounds. We've everyone in training kit. We have all this type of stuff and you have done nothing but now the power is being shifted and then unfortunately what it comes down to and it boils down to is money and schoolboy clubs some schoolboy clubs are relying heavily on the money of players that are their they're kind of their brightest talents that go to the uk are relying on the the compensation money that comes in from them and the sell-on clauses and all that type of thing so that's what it comes down to and that's that's where the debate comes in unfortunately and um, it's one that I like to step out of because for me if it is going to be putting the money forced on the kids re- regardless if it's a League of Ireland argument or a schoolboy argument well then you know they're not in it for the right reasons Like,
0: Let's talk about this season you're part of the coaching setup. up um, is it fair to sum it up as thus poor start
5: but good bounce back since? Uh, I think you're being coined <laughs> <laughs> it was an awful start to be honest yeah. with you uh, Why? Why? Um, I don't know. To be honest with you, it's uh, listen, we didn't uh deviate away from our plan or anything like that. We we had a different preseason. We brought in Mark canelium and Russ. Mark, for those who would know him or don't know him, is uh ran in London in twenty twelve. He was an Olympian. He ran in the marathon. Uh really good and he brought a different he was working with the Scarlets in Wales as well in the rugby and he brought he came in full timers and he brought a different dimension to our training and, and we probably have been uh, the most fittest we've been. Um, you know, everyone, body fat and everything, everything mm. is as lean as you possibly can get and we are working off that model, performance tactically and we just, first night against Bray, we froze. You know, we were playing the likes of, JJ Lunny's only gone 18, Alex O'Hanlon back from Liverpool's only gone 21, Lee Desmond, all these guys are only kind of just about hitting 20 or early 20s and maybe it was just a little bit rabbit and headlight stuff and, you know yourself if you're winning games you feel invincible and you feel like you'll never be beaten you start losing games and all of a sudden yeah. you don't know where your next wins come from and we've got picked up one point though of the first five and then rovers game was huge because we we knew the fixtures that were on that weekend that we we couldn't we couldn't fall forward or behind and we managed to go out and win and it was a really good performance in daily mountain friday which kind of springboards us a little bit up but um Listen, at a club like Pat's, and and we speak about demands earlier on with the likes of Pat Scully. Liam wouldn't be as forceful, but he still doesn't do mediocrity. Like you know, yeah. he still wants us to be. He still wants us to be um, successful, and regardless if budgets are cut or anything like that, he he doesn't come out. You'll, ne- you'll never hear Liam Buckley come out in the media and saying my budget was cut. Never and uh, it was, I know it was. And the thing about it is, you just got to get on you got to make do. And we're kind of building a platform for the likes of the JJ Lunnies and Alex O'Hanlons and Lee Desmond's and Conroe Marley's and Josh O'Hanlon's only 21, 22 as well. That these guys in the next year or two are able to go, Well, I have my bit of experience, I know my way around the league now, yeah, we're ready to go and we're ready to perform and compete.
0: Someone that's picked up on the fitness point and they said, Well, why weren't they fit last year? Can you give us an insight into what you felt you needed to change in a fitness sense?
5: Yeah, it was it was something that was probably criticised towards us last year. Um listen, it's I was involved in it as a player, like did I feel fit? Yeah, but listen, I don't know. It's it's a hard one to to pick to pick on, like, you know, this year we have Stat in which is like a GPS stuff, um which is no hiding place. So for any of the players and that's probably one of the reasons why I did stay step back. <laughs> uh, but no, it's uh, yeah, there's no hiding place and the boys get sent their stats every Saturday. So yeah. they know how far they ran and how quick they ran and you know how many sprints they done and their recovery runs. All that type of stuff is logged. Mm-hmm. So there's no hiding place for them. And listen, we left no stone unturned. We'd, we'd done a different kind of pre-season last year where it was more of a periodisation one, which is fine. I've no problem with that at all. Uh, this year we kind of went a little bit old school. Yeah. Um, the balls were out, don't get me wrong, but there was some, some were out of the footballs as and well. And
0: did that make it tougher at the start of the season because we'll take uh, the National Hurling League as an example Davy Fitzgerald has said that Wexford worked hard and were match fit by the time the league started whereas Brian Cody said look we're just back we're doing a lot of fitness work at the moment we're not doing as much hurling and Kilkenny had a slow start and Wexford didn't is it the same for St Pats I know it probably wasn't by design but does that explain the slow start
5: it could, it could do like I've looked I've done a lot of research into myself and you're looking at and you cannot the thing about I like to look if you're gonna compare anything you might as well compare it to what the best is and the best that we have that's closest is the the Premier League and you look at Arsenal have an awful record of performing really well in the first time. and everyone the joke is out there, it comes to January or February and that's Arsenal season's gone, they're gonna they're gonna dwindle. And they kinda do a similar pre season to us in the sense that it was kinda tough, a lot of running and stuff like that. Mm. Liverpool's the same under Klopp, Pochettino seems to be the same under Spurs, but his is the flip side. Liverpool's do hard pre-season, start well and kind of negate it with Klopp's. Uh, whereas Pochettino has started really slow and I kicked on and his fitness level. So, uh, listen, I don't know. I think we can go a little bit too deep into stuff like that. I think yeah. when you're losing, any excuse and stuff gets thrown at you when you're winning. Yeah.
0: Anything new is blamed. Yeah, exactly. Look, just before I let you go, because I appreciate you've given us a lot of your time, I want to play you. Colin Burns' reaction. He was talking to uh, a video on the same Pat's website um, about his fantastic wonder goal against bulls
1: yeah the goal itself was something that a uh, dream made of, i suppose and um, i spotted him off his line from early on in the game and i said to myself that if i was going to get the chance i'd hit it and um, i've tried it and failed on numerous occasions over the years so just to do it on my 100th goal on a ground i've never scored in before was great they had a goal kick but i had tennis for a few seconds and then it just broke i think jj got a little touch on it into my stride, and that's when I just looked up and to see where he was and yeah, just
2: hit it as hard as I could and caught it sweetening and went over his head. And Beckham saw Sullivan off his line!
1: Oh! That is absolutely phenomenal!
4: I remember his goal being just debating whether or not it was the
1: halfway line or not, so I don't think there was any debate about mine being inside me on half, so yeah, it's, look, it's, Beckham was always a player that I always looked up to as well, so to do, emulate him
5: with a goal like that is uh, is nice.
0: What do you make of that? Comparisons to Beckham? Fair comparisons?
5: <laughs> not his hair, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, Colin's one of my good friends, and I. he's not on social media, and I propped the other night that it was a remarkable achievement. He's a great guy, and anyone who's ever played on will tell you how, how good of a fella he is. He'd be one of the first ones to admit, and he's a perfect example to young players, that he's technically not the best footballer in the world. He would kind of take the piss out of himself quite a lot yeah. but he works so hard he's in great nick and for a wide player to score 100 goals and i'd say i don't know how many games maybe he's played nearly 300 games if you were to take out how many assists he has as well in that oh, it's, listen it's incredible what he's done because i know the soccer republic showed last night some of the snippets of other players the likes of amon zayed and jason bourne yeah. and pat morley and people like that they all played as center forwards whereas Conan has played as a wide right. So to get that amount of goals is incredible, but I'm delighted for him. Um, And hopefully he gets many more before the end of the season. And my thanks
0: to Joe O'Brien, first team coach at St. Pat's and director of underage football at the Saints. As you heard at the start, he's not sure if he's finished playing yet, but it does seem to be the case that he is done. However, you wouldn't rule out a Paul Scholes type move. Remember, he retired and then came back. Came, came back, back for a big game as well it was a Liverpool for, game. It was it? a
1: Man City, I think. Was it Man City? It was a cup game, I think, against Man City. It was definitely Man City. It may have been a league game, but it was one hundred percent Man City.
0: It was a. It was. Do you know what? It was a big derby game.
1: Yes. Anyway, the fixtures this week, Dan. Fixtures in the Premier Division. There's five games taking place on Friday night. It's Cork City against Derry. That kicks off at half seven. Four, uh, Three games kick off at 7.45. It's Bray Wanderers against Galway. Drogheda against Shamrock Rovers. And St. Pat's against Limerick. One game at 8 o'clock. It's in Finn Park. Finn Harp's take on Dundalk. And on Saturday night, there's one game. That's in the showgrounds, 7.45. Slogger Rovers against Bohemians. Friday night in the First Division: Cabin Cabinteely take on Shelburne Waterford United,
0: Waterford FC, sorry, up against Cove Ramblers. I, I, I honestly, I'm not doing that on purpose. One
1: week, we'll get there, you know. Uh
0: Wexford FC take on Longford. That one kicks off at eight o'clock. The other two off 745. at seven forty-five. At seven forty-five on Saturday night, UCD up against that loan. The First Division very tight at the moment. It's looking very tasty, isn't it? Yeah. Waterford United on eleven points. Cove Ramblers. On 11 points also That really does make the game On Friday night Quite interesting Cove Ramblers as I say 11 UCD on 10 Cabin Tealy on 10 Shelburne on 9 Atlone on 7 Longford on 5 And Wexford on 2 So basically 2 points Between the top 5 Yeah really really tight And some good football Being played there as well I've seen a few Highlights packages
1: because uh, the first division teams can produce their own highlights packages
0: well you can do that in the Premier Division as well you just just can't put it up to the Soccer Republic I think correct Uh, Okay, that's it for this week Uh, my thanks to Dan you can get him Uh, on
1: at uh, it's Misha Daniel on Twitter
0: and you can get me on at Oisín Langan but where you can get me on Friday night is still open to debate Cork City up against Derry. look that's the standout game I'm obviously a City fan I don't hide that but it is on TV so I'm tempted to record it and go maybe to Bray and Galway
1: well, you have said for a few weeks now you had planned to go to Bray. One time, I think, illness took over. That's right. The second time, General Apathy took over.
0: No, I just couldn't make it, Dan. Uh, Drogheda against Shamrock Rovers, also, you know, tempting game. St. Pat's hosting Limerick and Finn Harp's taking on Dundalk. Bally I have Buffet, a feeling probably you Probably a yeah, stretch. A little bit out there. Well, I'm working minute. on Saturday, so uh, yeah. you know, it would be unprofessional of me to go. But uh, I'd be tempted to get to Bally Buffet at some stage.
1: Don't forget also for listening, uh, the Jackie Jameson interview from last week we spoke to Gina Lawless and uh, Oshinov spoke to Aidan Fitzmorris it has got a brilliant reaction and that's still available on newstart.com if you're looking to hear it or if you've missed it so far
0: yeah thank you for your kind comments on the Jackie Jameson piece a lot of people were glad we did it uh, and we're glad that you're glad uh, if you have any other ideas by the way we're not in any way ashamed about ripping them off
1: let so, us know on Twitter tweet one of us tweet both of us yeah because we th- will th- listen to them
0: yeah we, we've got some really cool names thrown at us regards yeah possible
1: interviews. Names from the past that people may know and some they may not know.
0: Yeah, we might not get to them in the next couple of weeks but we hope to get to all of They're on file
1: in a filing cabinet. Okay, Dad! it's getting
0: bad when you're ripping off Donegal catch ads, so I think we will leave it at that. Dad! Thank you as always for giving us your time. We'll catch you next week. Dad!
3: Thanks, bye. Uh, oh, no, nah, he's not seeing me. I'll go later.